Hi, this is Dr. Lat Mansour, your host on HVMN Podcast. In this episode, I interview Chase Tuning, who is an Army veteran and also has an undergraduate in physical education and exercise science, as well as master's in health promotion. In this episode, he shared his fundamental values, habits, routines, favorite supplements, and different things that he does on a daily basis to maximize health and fitness and work towards longevity. He also talked about his physical and emotional trauma, how he overcame them in order to become happier and healthier. So stay tuned and enjoy this episode. Hello, we have Chase um, today in, on our HBMM podcast. Thank you for coming on, Chase. Oh, that's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much, my man. All right. Well, let's start off with asking you, what is your current most obsessed fitness or health trend at the moment? It could be diet. It could be an exercise. It could be anything that, that you are just obsessed with at the moment. Um, probably at the moment, uh, really leaning into longevity. And I know that might not be uh, a typical trend or you know a fad diet or fad workout right now, but longevity for me is something I have really been leaning into. And that means a lot of different things, which I'm sure we can get into, but just focusing on things that I can do in my nutrition and my habits and my movement and uh, everything to aid in the here and the now, but also I know that are going to compound to hopefully uh, ideally add many more years, but many, many more quality years to my life in terms of overall wellness, mental output, cognition, strength, resiliency, all the above. Great. That, that's, and then that's a really interesting topic as well, because who doesn't want to live longer, healthier, right? So uh, we can get into the science and application of that in a bit as well. So before we go on there, um, tell our listeners uh, who you are, what's your story, what's your background, and let's start with that. Yeah, so I feel like I've worn many, many hats and lived many different lives. Um, as someone who initially wanted to pursue a family tradition of military service, that was really where my story began. And, and oddly enough, as we're recording right now, it's where I thought my story would kind of be not ending, but a large section would be ending and my next phase would be beginning. My original plan was to go into the Army at 17, do my 20 years, retire, maybe take a little downtime and then move on to the next phase of life, which for me right now is that time. Uh, I recently turned 37. I would be retiring from the military, uh, but life had other plans for me, which kind of leads me to the second biggest benchmark in my story. And about four and a half, five years into my military service in pursuit of a uh, deployment training, actually, I during a war game exercise, suffered the injuries that wound up ending that career, which is why I'm not retiring now at 37 and was medically discharged six years into my service. And that injury of torn hamstring, of trauma to my back and my hips that ultimately led to complete bilateral reconstruction of both my femurs put me quite literally back at square one and gave me a newfound appreciation for the human body um, but also, I needed to learn things in a different way. My, my way of going about living, my way of going about living an active life, at least, was now radically different. And I knew that if I wanted to have the life, the quality of life that I wanted, um, I needed to really take ownership of my life and my health. And so upon separation, I went to school, uh, took advantage of some of those military benefits and wound up studying exercise science for undergraduate degree then went on to get my master's in health promotion with a concentration in nutrition and then worked in concierge medicine for many years as a health coach and a wellness director. So I was working hand in hand with doctors and their patients to get well, to stay well, exercise physiology testing, weight loss and lifestyle management programs, uh, fitness and exercise as medicine, truly. And then, um, you know, then boom, the whole kind of internet, social media uh, craze kind of hit around 2013 or so and uh, began to dip my toe in there and really liked what I was seeing, liked what I was being able to do in terms of creating for the sake of creation, but also creating platforms that I could expand into a professional opportunity. And so then I transitioned out into my own world of online health coaching for several years at that time, I, I began my own health and wellness podcast and um, then kind of decided to commit to one thing. And, you know, I, in my pursuit of continuously learning and getting better and stronger and learning my body in new ways, I began to just feed that more into 
my podcast. And I, I decided ultimately the best way I can continue to learn and grow and the best way I can continue to serve and grow an audience that is after optimization, learning, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual well-being uh, is through one particular platform. So about three years ago, I, I kind of decided to hang up health coach hat chase and just be wellness entrepreneur, wellness podcaster chase. And that's what I've been doing ever since now. That was really full time. The decision in 2019, um, the show was about it'll be January six years. Um, and that's what I'm doing now, you know, still consciously and creatively every day learning what the human potential is and then sharing that information, the good, the bad, and the ugly with my audience and then bringing on experts to kind of expand deeper uh, on unique topics. Great story. And, and of course, for our listeners, um, Chase's uh, show is called Ever Forward Radio. Is that, is that right? Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. Ever Forward Radio. Yeah, so check it out. And you know, definitely a lot of content there. Um, so as you were explaining chronologically your story, um, what I'm really curious about is your mental state during the injury, right? Mm. Uh, I think I think that requires a lot of mental resilience. That requires, you know, uh, th there's obviously a lot of physical trauma and, and emotional trauma as well. Like, how's your mental state during that time? And how did you um, cope with all that, you know, stress, anxiety and all that? You know, it's funny. At the time, I, I feel like I, I didn't know any better. I didn't know anything other than this is this is my job. This is my role, and I, I think it's kind of unique. Um, I mean, I wouldn't know because I haven't, thankfully, uh, knock on wood, you know, suffered any major injuries now as a civilian. But after being active duty army, being an active duty soldier for about over four years at that time when I suffered those injuries, um, it was just kind of like, okay, I'm not doing my job. I, you know, I, I'm detached from my unit. Um, that kind of comes with the territory. And now, hey, Sergeant Tuning, your new mission is to heal. Your new mission is to just endure this right here, right now. And then we'll, we'll see what we have for you on the other side. And I kind of just really took it in stride. I mean, what I went through really, really did suck. I'm not going to lie. Um, just being in and out of hospitals, in and out of physical therapy, uh, being bedridden for many, many days and weeks and taking months and months to recover and having to rehabilitate to learn how to walk again twice for it was about a year and a half process um, was no fun. But ultimately, I think because those four years leading up to that injury, my mindset at the time was already you get your mission, you follow your orders, and then you just you carry on. And it wasn't only until years later and through conversations like this, when I reflect back on that time, I'm actually able to finally really deeply process what was going on. There's the obvious physical trauma and rehabilitation process, but um, mentally and emotionally what I went through, I don't think I was able to fully process until years later or even unpack like the emotions that I probably and definitely was feeling and suppressing. Um, but it, I, again, I think it kind of just comes with the territory in certain situations. Maybe it's just the military mentality of you got to just bite down, endure and drive on. And that's definitely what I did. But that doesn't mean that you're not storing all of that emotion, all of those emotions, you know, you're not storing any unique trauma, big T, little T, or just uh, even having time to, to build your own opinion on that experience. Um, I think anybody who's gone through an injury, a significant injury, can definitely relate or any, any downtime away from your personal health and wellness goals. Maybe at the time, it's a sacrifice that needs to be made. It's, it's what has to be done in order to save yourself, to save your mentality, or to, to heal. Um, but then on the other side of it, you can actually unpack and go, wait a minute, I had a lot of identity wrapped up in movement. I had a lot of identity wrapped up in being active and, and having the ability, the luxury, the privilege of two feet, two legs, two arms. And I say that because that's a, another big component that I think kept me quite literally sane and appreciative and alive in many ways because in that experience, I was side by side with many other men and women and soldiers that were coming back from theater that didn't have legs, didn't have arms, you know, were 
wrapped in gauze, head to toe, suffered multiple third degree burns. And, and so I think just while I say what I went through was very unpleasant and took me many years to get to a point to, you know, where I am now, um, at least I had a lot of these things that others didn't. And that's a bigger moral, you know, a bigger lesson, you know, while we might go through and we will go through many things in life that struggle, such as an injury, but uh, even like mental and emotional pain, there's always somebody that has it worse. And not to discredit what we go through, but when I was going through my worst, I was surrounded by people who had it way worse than me. And so I think there was just this subconscious appreciation for that that didn't allow me to really go down a, a dark hole uh, where I saw a lot of my peers unfortunately go um, in not being able to properly rehabilitate or not be able to accept this new identity given to them that, hey, your life, your career as a soldier, as a service member is now over. Um, you're hanging up that hat and you have to move on. Um, there's always somebody that has it worse. And so I think going through my worst with those people um, allowed me to kind of really endure that in a really unique way that I'm, I'm eternally grateful for. And I, I love how wholesome you, you really see the whole situation as well. And I think um, gratitude is definitely very important. But then at the same time, it's how difficult it is to ask people to feel gratitude when they are facing such a shitty situation, uh, you know, an accident, like things that are not their fault, right? And then you go to ask them, like, you just have to be, you know, be, be grateful of what you have. And it is not easy, right? But at the same time, you know, if you look at it in a, in a more wholesome manner in, in, you know, comparison to other people, uh, there are people who are far worse. And, and as you said, you know, um, you got to ironically, like, almost force yourself to be grateful because mm. uh, that is what's driving people to be able to cope with the current situation um, and make it a little bit better and know that it will get better as long as you work on it. And in terms of the physical recovery, was rehab the only thing that you did or did you do anything extra? Because I know there are some peptides that help with recovery and all that. Did you do any of those? Or? Uh, if I had peptides back then, lad, I think... Um, who knows? I might have gotten to a point to where the Army would have still accepted me and I would have been able to maintain certain physical standards. And I say that because this year, this last year, 2022, I have introduced peptides into my wellness routine and <laughs> just wow, game changers. Um, at that time, so this was 2000, 2000 late, late 2007 through about midway 2009 when I was in, in care, rehabilitation. There was nothing like that, at least in the army for me at that time. Um, I had an amazing orthopedic surgeon. I had a few uh, pretty solid physical therapists. Um, it was kind of hit or miss, but thankfully I had longevity of care, at least with the same provider for my period there, which I think no matter what you're going through is always helpful instead of getting bounced around from different therapists and providers. Right. But it was, it was just traditional physical therapy. I did pool therapy. Uh, a couple of times I would have a... Um, I forget the exact term, but um, a specialist come to my home and to kind of help me navigate, you know, uh, using household items to to help me get out of bed and to move. And, you know, for a certain time, I did have you know some some live in care and support. Um, but it, it was just that it was just traditional rehabilitation it was just traditional three times a week, four times a week for X amount of time. And, you know, also at the time, these surgeries what I went through was femoral acetabular impingement uh, uh, surgery. So basically a surgical dislocation and removal of the femur, reshape the femur head, put it back in. And then at the time, the best belief, the best practice was be sedentary. You need to be still, you need to lie still, you need to not move, you need to heal for days, weeks on end. And that ultimately led to, which we know, you know, when you go that long without movement or even just the form of exercise you had before, I went in a very lean young man, atrophy, my metabolism dropped, uh, suffered a lot of other things like poor hydration, you know, getting bed sores and uh, poor sleep and then medications. And just, it was just this, this storm, this shit storm of things that were supposedly on paper helping me heal, 
But my experience and my interpretation was that it was also radically taking away a lot of what I had going for me, a lot of strength, a lot of, you know, uh, muscle mass, a lot of metabolic rate, a lot of everything. Um, it, there was nothing extra. And I really think that if I had something back then, I mean, who knows, maybe maybe now I would be talking to you on my retirement story after 20 years instead. Um, but peptides this year have been a game changer for me through just minor little injuries, but also optimization and like I said earlier, longevity. And since we we are on the topic of peptide, I'm really interested because I think, uh, you know, it's it's been talked about every now and again. And I know it's a gray area as well. You know, it's not, um, I don't believe it's openly sort of um, legalized to, to, to be used. But at the same time, I do have, I do know doctors uh, who, are, who truly believe in it and, and they do mm. prescribe it and they can legally prescribe it. So uh, what have you, you know, if, if you don't mind sharing, obviously, um, use that is uh, uh, useful to you. Because I personally, I've used um, Ipamorelin, Samorelin, just purely for a performance point of view, from a recovery point of view. Uh, it really helped with my sort of sleep quality as well as the soreness. It definitely helped when I want to push hard um, and heavy weights for like five days a week and, and it helped significantly. What 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 is your experience around peptides? So specifically, BPC-157 has been the one that I have regularly used this year and I have cycled. I'm actually on another cycle of it now. Um, I, I've gone the route of taking every day for a couple months. I've done a month on, month off, and I kind of feel that that um, protocol works best for me. Also, personal preference when it comes to anything I'm taking on a, on a regular basis. I do like to have the awareness of, even though it does objectively or, in my opinion, does help me, does serve me, I don't ever want to become dependent on anything. And, you know, like with many substances we put in our body, even just core whole food nutrition, mm -hmm. um, we can build tolerance, we can build dependence, we can build thresholds. And I like to get a fresh start every once in a while. So that's why I like this one month on, one month off of the BPC-157. And what it was for me, most notably, speaking of injury recovery, um, earlier this year before I started, uh, I got a little carried away in the gym, feeling really excited, feeling really strong. I was deadlifting, and I told myself, famous last words, uh, I'm only going to do X amount of weight. This is my rep scheme. Um, but I was just, you know, sometimes you go in the gym, and you're like, I'm strong like bull. You know, I feel like I can just take on the world. <laughs> um, and that was me, and I got carried away, and I was pulling, uh, I think it was like 420 pounds, um, beltless. And for me, anytime I, I do 315 or above, which is three plates on the other side, I'm putting my belt on just because of my old injuries and just core stabilization and just injury prevention, risk mitigation, really. Um, and I pulled it, and I also pulled something else. You know, I pulled the weight up, and as I got to the top, I was like, mm, that was not a good idea. And so I tweaked my back, and I had severe pain and range of motion limitation for several weeks. And it was during those weeks I began BPC-157. Um, and I would say within about two days, my pain went down by about 50%. I was getting range of motion back in my body that uh, I, I was like, I didn't stretch. I didn't foam roll. I have no, you know, icy hot or, uh, you know, pain reliever balm on. And that was a big like aha moment for me. So once I began to regularly cycle it, I felt so much more resilient. I felt fortified. I felt like I was able to train strength, train my tendons, my ligaments. It was this whole new level of strength that I had never experienced beyond just, oh, wow, I went up 10 pounds, you know, maybe on a PR or something, but just the level of confidence and internal resiliency, internal fortitude that I felt, I felt so confident, like at my joint level of what I was moving, everything was moving more smoothly. I had better range of motion uh, my mind muscle connection was so much more in tune because again, that confidence was there, that level of strength was there. And then, unfortunately, I got back under the bar, under a, uh, a barbell squat, and nothing crazy. Uh, it was just like 225, which is about a decent weight for me. And as I dropped down into the hole again, that back injury kind of flared back up again from the deadlift. While I was still on BPC-157 at the time, I shit you not, within two days, completely gone. 
Whereas before, it was probably like two weeks or so I was kind of right. suffering the pain and limited range of motion. Um, so for me, that was just a huge sign that this stuff is working. It's very targeted. It's not only working in terms of me feeling stronger and more fortified and more resilient in the gym and just daily living, but it's actually doing something in helping my body heal way more fast. So in terms of dosage and like protocol, it's, it's subcutaneous, isn't it? The one I'm taking is actually a capsule. Um, okay, I'm not so taking it's oral, uh, oral, oral capsule. Yep. Yeah, it's just uh, one a day. Uh, yep. Wow. Yeah, because I know there are people who use subcutaneous um, injection. I know people who directly inject into the joints that they mm. have injury in. Um, so I, I personally, I haven't really looked much into the protocol and the the practice of it yet uh, of the studies. But I do know that every single person that used BPC-157 have said that it worked miraculously. Um, oh, and that was one of the things that I began to share out on social media, and I even talked loosely about it on a couple of my podcast episodes. And it was like this, the, the amount of inbound, like, yes, it's amazing. I'm so glad you're on it. I'm so glad you love it. I've been using it for months, been using it for years. Right. I felt like out of the club. I was like, wait, hold on. All y'all knew about this it, yeah. and nobody <laughs> told me, you know, what's going on? You know, fitness has been a part of my life and content for pushing ugh, 10 years now. I felt, you know, like I was missing out on the invitation to the cool kids party. Right. But, but that has been amazing. And also this year, um, I, not really a peptide, but, you know, I've been on uh, testosterone replacement therapy, TRT, as well this year. Um, recently turned... I, I turned 36 last year, had a full-blown metabolic panel done, really in-depth, did some genetics testing, did a lot more expansive labs because I was just feeling like, look, the same stuff isn't working as well anymore. Um, I know what to do in the gym and in the kitchen and the lifestyle, but I just wasn't able to maintain the same level of of, uh, of sleep, of motivation, of strength, of, of all the things. Mm -hmm. And so my T wasn't low, but it was on the lower end of the range. And I was like that coupled with just I'm having to really, really psych myself up to go to the gym. I'm not feeling it in there. I'm not as happy. And I don't want to lose that because I know that's a slippery slope for having it removed from your lifestyle and a habit gone that I don't want gone. So TRT this year coupled then with the cycle of BPC-157 has been a game changer for me in terms of strength, resiliency, motivation, sleep, recovery but also now diving deeper into the literature and the studies and just talking to more people that are now coming out of the woodwork, at least on my platform, who are you know years, decades older than me, who have been like, yeah, I've been on this stuff for many, many years. And I look at them, I'm like, that's the type of life that I would like. You know, The way that you look, the way that you're so active uh, and able to maintain just quality of life in 10, 20 years, that's what I'm after. So now I'm, I'm like, I'm really narrowing down the short game, but I can attach it to an end game as well. Yeah, definitely. So, so since we're talking about like optimization and all of this, you know, obviously we, what we just covered is, you know, peptides and supplementation. What's more fundamental obviously is the lifestyle itself is the nutrition mm -hmm. is the training. It's the basics, right? So let's, let's talk a little bit about what's your fundamental, um, nutrition and training regime that you currently going through you know for a, a person who's 36 and you feel like mm. you know you're obviously active and in shape but you feel like you haven't got the motivation the level of energy that you used to have what are you doing you know in the gym in your kitchen that is helping mm. you right now you know lad i think this is such an important question and i really hope the listener the viewer is leaning into this because before you ever get to peptides, before you ever get to the secret sauce and the biohacks, having your fundamental health routine or routines is the most important thing. For a lot of different things, for having, you know, for knowing what to fall back on, for knowing what maybe you have been lacking, what maybe has been your core infrastructure that you can, like, that's your baseline, right? Before you go manipulating a lot of other variables, but ultimately, what I think it is, is that it provides me a level of grace that has taken me many years to get to. What I mean by that is, now I'm maybe a little bit different just because, uh, you know, I've had severe injuries and it's, you know, mo movement's been taken away from me. I've witnessed terminal illness in my family and see what it looks like. So I have the fear of getting sick and the fear of dying instilled in me. Um, and, you know, a lot of different things. But... 
I used to beat myself up. I, I would feel some kind of way, you know, I, dare I even say like negative self-talk when I missed a workout. If I wasn't training six days a week or if I wasn't tracking my calories or if I didn't hit my protein or all these kind of things that you hear a lot of people talk about, like you got to do no matter what, it's a non-negotiable. Well, non-negotiables over time, I think, can turn into negative self-talk. It can turn into shame. It can turn into a lot of feelings of disgrace because you didn't say what you were going to do. But ultimately, why? Uh, you know, I'm I'm not a competitive bodybuilder. I'm not a competitive uh, powerlifter. I'm not competing for anything other than the long haul of life. And so, having just bare bones fundamentals that I can fall back on not only gives me bare bone fundamentals to fall back on to keep me well. But it allows me this level of grace to remind myself of, Chase, it's okay if you didn't work out today. It's okay if you need to shift priorities because your family needs more time, your work needs more time, whatever the reason may be. And so ultimately, I think if you have a core routine that you can just come back to is going to save your mental health in the long run as well. And so for me, what that really looks like is just first and foremost, sleep. If I do nothing else. If I'm doing no other routine, no other hack, it's prioritizing sleep. And I started doing that about four years ago. And when I did, every other domino after that either fell on its own or became much easier to knock down because I was more recovered. I felt more restored. I had greater energy. And I could just kind of count on that. So prioritizing sleep, number one, and for me, that is, you know, I'm not here to tell everybody the exact amount of sleep you need. For me, it's, I would just go to bed when I would get tired around the same time, and I would wake up around the same time. I, unless I have to catch a flight now, I haven't set an alarm in almost four years. I go to bed at the same time, I wake up at the same time. I'm in bed between, you know, 10 and 10.30, usually asleep by 11, and I'm up between about 6.45, sometimes 7.30 a.m., without a doubt, never miss a beat. Um, so then once I began to do that, my circadian rhythm got set. The rest of my day was stacked. I knew how much time I had to do everything else. So, you know, life became easier. Prioritization became easier. Time blocking became easier. I was then able to build my morning and evening routines. Um, I think a lot of people would agree that starting off the day, and this is how I do it, as soon as I can, I get out of bed, I'm chugging water. For me, that's usually about 32 ounces. Um, I will then reach for natural sunlight, whether that's just stepping outside on my front porch walking my dog. I'm trying to just get immediate light movement and immediate sunshine, not directly looking to in, into the sun, but just allowing it to hit me. And when it's doing, whether it's hitting my eyes or hitting my skin, we have so many different photoreceptors in our eyes and on our body that begin to lower um, melatonin, begin to increase cortisol, which is a good thing in the beginning of the day. And that actually in the morning is what's setting your circadian rhythm. If you want a good night's sleep, start with getting sunlight, start with a good morning routine. Um, and then, then, then from there, it's, you know, a lot of different potions and powders and, you know, uh, super greens powders for, you know, adaptogens, micronutrients, probiotics. Um, and ever since discovering HVMN, I'm going to do the shameless plug here, man, this stuff right here, keto and IQ, I'm not a keto guy, but that stuff has been a game changer introducing into my morning routine in terms of just cognition, memory, focus, alertness. Um, I also pop on before every podcast. Shameless plug. No, no shame. It's, the, no it's shame. amazing. Um, so really, it's you know, kind of having just my routine that's mine that I built, and I'm not so focused on mirroring somebody that I follow um, because then when I would miss up, mess up on that, I, again, felt like, uh, like I can't even do this or, you know, what, what am I not doing right? I would pick and pull things that I would hear. And hopefully someone is picking and pulling things from this conversation today and from all the conversations you have to try out and to implement on their own. But the most important thing you can do is to keep those things going. Adhere to the plan that you create for your own why. That is going to keep you successful. That is going to allow you to have a, fall black, a fallback plan and then you compound that over months, years, decades, the whole concept we're talking about here, that is longevity, that is quality of life. You know, what you just said, it, it makes me feel so happy and grateful grateful with the things that I'm doing with HVMN because on HVMN podcast, um, as the host, I, I do try not to, I do try to stay unbiased and not to, you know, always push for products and keto and IQ. I'll do it for you, my man. And, I'll do it for you. <laughs> a lot of our guests, you know, even when we're just talking about their story and their, their routine, 
um, and they are the ones who you know bring it up and say that it it's working for them. And it's really nice to hear um, because ultimately, like I'm a scientist, I want to first of all you know relay the science over to people who 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 are not scientists, but also have a product that actually does what it says it does. Uh, it does. So um, thank you for that. Um, of course. And secondly, so you've, you've sort of, you know, go through that, that sort of routine that you, you implement. What about training wise? Like how much resistance training, how much endurance training do you do? And, and what's your goal? So at my heart, I am a strength trainer. I have dabbled with true powerlifting. I have dabbled with true bodybuilding. Um, and there's a, a phrase I would guess I would use called kind of power bodybuilding, where the fundamental initial movement that I'm doing when I step into the gym, which for me now is three days a week. Uh, honestly, a fourth is kind of like a bonus for me, but bare minimum, I'm getting three strength training days in. Um, and so then I'm starting off with traditional strength training compound movements, a deadlift, a squat, um, not necessarily always a bench press because the barbell bench, you know, I think a lot of people, myself included, gives me shoulder issues, but just, you know, a push, a press, a pull, um, and a squat. And it means a lot of different things. Um, and to kind of tie in another thing I've been talking about here in the emotional aspect of our wellness, um, why strength training and maintaining strength is so important to me when I'm stepping into the gym uh, is because I've had that taken away from me. You know, there was a time when, you know, I was relying on other people to, to, to get me out of bed, to shower me, and um, my whole way of life was radically different. But also, um, there was a time in my life when my father, who was termini terminally ill, um, long story short, fell out of his wheelchair, and I was not strong enough as this 18-year-old boy uh, who had just joined the army to lift him up out of the, off the floor and back into his wheelchair. I had to get another family member to help me. And so it was kind of like embedded in my mind at that moment. I will never not be strong enough to lift up someone that I love. I will never not be strong enough to physically lift them up and you know, emotionally lift them up. And so that's why maintaining strength is really so important to me. Um, and I, when I walk up to the barbell now, I not only remember the things that I've gone through, but I, I remember what it, what it felt like to be weak, what it felt like to, in my perception at the time, to be useless. And that was something that, you know, uh, is an emotional connection I have to physical training. Um, and it uh, is very deep rooted in me. And I think that's why, I think that's why I will never give this up. And that kind of ties into my goal. And my goal is, um, you know, of course, I want to maintain a certain body composition. I'm, I'm usually always hovering between 12 and 14%. I actually just got an in-body scan the other day, and I'm sitting at 13%. You know, I'm about 186 pounds. My, my comfort composition is about 190. I don't know how I lost four pounds. I got to work on that. Um, so I'm training that way, and I'm training to maintain a certain body composition of just, of, of I, in my opinion, what makes me look good, feel good. Um, and my goal is to maintain that as long as possible. I want to ideally, you know, if I'm in my 70s, still at 13% body fat, hey, I think that's pretty damn good. Uh, if I can, you know, pick up maybe not 420 pounds you know, on the barbell at that time, but pick up my grandchildren, pick up a bag of groceries, whatever, and know how to properly do it, the proper biomechanics, you know, uh, and injury prevention, risk, mit risk mitigation, that's really my goal. But on top of that, what I've been doing this year is um, once a week, I've been off actually this last month, but once a week I've been uh, rotating in yoga. Yoga has been something I've been doing for many years, but never very regularly. Um, and so usually for me, Wednesdays are yoga day. And that just helps my mind, my body, flexibility, mobility. But also when I link, think back to the times that I have the best training days, the, the heaviest lifts, maybe even a PR, are typically right after a day that I've had yoga. My body is just so much more prime, so much more supple, so much more mobile, flexible. Um, so I take note of the things that serve me and regularly weave them into my routines, especially when it comes to training. Thank you. Um, and I can definitely relate to your story um, about your dad and how that sort of shaped the way you think, the way you want to live and the way you train because my, I lost my dad uh, when I was 18. Mm. So he had a stroke. I was and 19. Before that, yeah. he was, he was, uh, he had a heart attack 
and my dad's side has like you know um high prevalence of heart attacks and my mom's side has high prevalence of diabetes and that sort of shaped um me in, in ended up doing a phd in diabetes and cardiovascular disease and because of that my passion wow, also wow. sort of drove me forward in knowing more and more about the science of both the cause but also um the 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 ways to prevent um, these chronic diseases. Hence, I am where I am today. Um, so Fear is a powerful motivator, and we often yeah. don't realize it is our motivator or it is our driving force. But whether you were aware of it at the time when you chose that program, um, there it is. And you know whether I was aware of it at the time when you know I felt such an affinity towards strength training. Um, it's by unpro by unpacking what I'm doing and just really thinking about. I, you know, why la why is this PhD program so interesting to you? And there you go. It's tethered back to that that unfortunate loss. And it's the same thing for me here. And I would imagine for someone listening, like next time you walk up into your yoga studio or the barbell or whatever your modality is, think about why you're here and why this specific modality is so interesting and important to you. I bet it will get you thinking, and I bet you'll be able to trace it back to something that was that initial catalyst fear might be there and that's not a bad thing fear of staying well or fear of becoming unwell fear of becoming sick fear of becoming injured or staying injured is a very real driver and i think it's one that if we can acknowledge but not stay with and you know i'm not going to be a victim of fear i'm going to in turn use it for what i want i mean it's it bettered your life, you know, and you're so much more better for it and more educated and now helping so many other people, myself included, you know, all thanks to an odd way. There's gratitude again, fear of what took some of these loved ones away from us. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a funny story, actually, how I ended up doing cardiovascular and diabetes, because originally when I applied for the PhD program at the University of Oxford, it was with the cardiac metabolism research group. So I... The project that I proposed, it was on cardiomyocytes, um, stem cell research, looking at using stem cell to help uh, help repair damaged uh, heart tissues mm. uh, from a heart attack. But when I started the program, it, there was some shift in the lab with the, between postdocs and some movements uh, around who does what. And, and there's a an empty um, spot where a PhD student is needed to do diabetes and cardiovascular mm. disease, whereas the stem cell research has already been taken. And they basically sat me down. They're like, look, um, we've got this, you know, it's a bit different than what you mm. proposed. Uh, would you be interested to uh, to do it? I was like, well, either way, it's going to be a new subject. It's, a, you know, when you do a PhD, it has mm. to be novel mm. anyway. Um, it's still in the cardiovascular realm, which is something that I was interested in. And diabetes was not something that I looked into, but I know for a fact that my 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 mom's family side has high prevalence of diabetes so i was like mm -hmm. you know what why not and then as i progressed further and learned more about these two diseases and how they're interlinked and metabolic disease in general it sort of really drove um, my my passion and wow. motivation forward there um, you go man that's that's a powerful story that's interesting yeah, it is. It, it sort of happened by chance, but also, you know, the interest was there and, and I ended up working for a diabetes management program, which is a health coaching sort of um, uh, program back in Singapore for about a year and a half before I came out and started my own company in health tech, looking at uh, using chatbot to interpret blood test results. Mm. So talking about health coaching, actually, I wanted to ask you the, the health coach, you know, the hat. The, the health coach hat. Um, it's around here somewhere. I'm just not yeah. wearing it as much these days. Yeah. So uh, this is for the listeners, you know, um, as we were talking about routines, as we were talking about fundamentals, as we were talking about training regimes, you and I, you know, we've gone through, we've, we've had our trainers, we've had our experience. We know what we're doing. A lot of people out there who are just trying to get healthy, trying to get active, you know, may not know a lot of these terms, these exercise and all that. Mm. And, with, you know, pandemic and, and offline and online and all of that, there are a lot of options now, you know, online health coaching, you know, as you, as you, you, you go into. What should one be looking out for? Because I can definitely foresee the challenges if a health coach is trying to teach a movement or a exercise, even with videos, even with, um, you know, cameras, it's still 
there's still a challenge of disconnect um, on, first of all, the relay of information, second of all, accountability as well. So give me your perspective from both the health coach perspective as well as the client perspective. That's a really powerful question and one that I don't know if everybody has going into this, this coach-client relationship. Um, when I think back to when I was in practice every day working with, we call them patients, you know, we were, I was in a doctor's office, my patients, my clients. When I think back to the ones where we were most successful or that, that connection was just there and it wasn't so much as just, all right, cool, here's, here's the workout, here's the checkup, here's the nutrition plan, blah, 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 like take your orders and go kind of thing. It was when I think we both just acknowledged that we were two humans in a room, you know, real or virtual these days, um, where one had a problem or was curious about something that the other person probably had a solution for or had at least lived through or was just a one step further along. And so when I, and I think a lot of coaches would agree, when you come out of the shoot, you know, I just got certified, I just got my degree. We, I definitely did, really tried to overdo it with this program, this technical movement, these scientific words, this, that, everything. And the person doesn't know that they most of them don't know that and so when I would try to you know really talk about you know which fuel source you're using in this movement pattern like they don't give a shit it's really just you know hey I I want to just feel better uh, I, I want to lose the weight I want to be stronger and so when I would let that down or I would become aware of that and I would just connect to them as a human the humanization component in the coach client relationship I think is the most important thing because that What's that, what that's doing is the, the client, they're seeing you as another human being. There's the humanization aspect and bringing you down from the pedestal of someone that maybe I can never be like or look like or I'll never, ha never have this much knowledge. That's not the goal. Like maybe if they're the student and you're the professor and like they're trying to like get on your level quite literally on a professional level, that's a different story. But when I would just let them know what I was also struggling with when I would really listen more and say less. I think a good coach-client relationship is really how well are you listening and how well are you mirroring back that conversation. I think most of my clients and most people in the client seat now, when you're talking to your coach, when you're saying things out loud, a good coach is just gonna hear that, mirror it back, and just say it in a different way that's going to sound like they're presenting to you a plan. But all they really did was just mirror back again, you know, kind of flip back on you what it is that you said that you want and what it is that you think it's going to take for you to get that. And then when you say that, it becomes so much more powerful because the person hears that, the client would hear that, they would hear me say that, and then it immediately would have meaning, it immediately would have attachment because it came from them in the first place. This is like, I would call it the inception model of coaching. What my best clients would do is when I could, you know, like the movie Inception, if I can plant the idea in your head, but then the actual, I, the real fruit of that, the real execution of that comes from your own choice, your own words. You think it's your idea, but I just kind of you know, like send it back to you. Adherence went through the roof, happiness went through the roof, um, understanding of what we're doing and why went through the roof. Um, so I think that's really ultimately what it takes is just remembering that you're two humans and just one of you has a little bit more information than the other, but meet them where they're at, both parties. Remember that you're humans, share what you're both struggling with, what you have struggled with, how you endured that, and how you got on the other side of that. That I think is gonna be the most relatable point in that conversation, in that coach-client experience. And then after that, the technical stuff can come. Okay, cool. Once you know why you're doing it and you're both on board, all right, here's the plan, here's the do's and the don'ts, here's the framework, but it has to come from that kind of like the inception model first, really. And I can imagine for online coaching, that could be a challenge as well, like having that barrier there. 
Yeah, it, you know, I, I think there's definitely something to it being with another human being to pick up on those subtle nuances, you know, the body language, the energy, the, the tonality. I mean, maybe if you're talking to somebody on a phone or an audio internet call, you don't get to see, you know, when you can't see what they're not telling you, mm-hmm. it says everything. Um, and so I think there's a lot of power to be had in being present with another human being in general, but especially in a coach-client relationship. You know, so bare minimum, I would say, you know, a video call, FaceTime, Zoom, whatever. Um, but then from there, it's just, if it, we're talking purely remote, I, what I found success in was having periodic checkups, check-ins, you know, just touching base aside from the main thing we were there to talk about. Because think about it, if, if I'm your coach, Lat, and, you know, all I'm doing every time you ever hear from me is just, you know, hey, how are, we, how are we doing on the goal? How are we doing on the goal? How, did you do this? Did you do that? Did you get it done? Did you get it done? Did you Checklist. put down the cake? Exactly. Like, y- you're going to feel some kind of way. But if I can check in with you on a human level of, you know, like, hey, you know, happy Thanksgiving. You know, as we're recording here, it's about Thanksgiving time. I want you to have a, you know, enjoy yourself. Remember all the hard work you put in thus far. You know, squ- spend quality time with yourself. Spend quality time with your friends and family. Enjoy the day. Don't go into it with any kind of should or should not, you know, to a certain degree. But just having that kind of like, again, real human check in so that when they see the ping, when they see the alert, the text message, there's not that like, ah, shit, what do they want again? You know, or what are they going to tell me I can or cannot do? And when you can have that kind of rapport, they're going to be so much more receptive to when you do need to wear the coach hat really and be like, mm, we talked about this, or, you know, hey, just a reminder, this is the protocol, this is the training, um, you missed a workout, you know, what's going on? Um, don't stay so attached to just the do's and the don'ts, but just remember that you're also a human being, you're both human beings going through this experience, and there are a lot of other factors that go into being a human being that are going to make us adherent or successful or not to our particular health goals at the time. Yeah, that's great advice for both the health coach as well as client or people who want to get, you know, coaches or trainers mm. to get better um, with exercise or just in general health. Um, and having that human connection, definitely. I think empathy is a very powerful characteristic. It's a very powerful thing where, you know, when you feel like you are understood and you mm. feel like you... And you are seen and heard. Being seen and that heard, is so powerful. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Knowing that there are people out there like you. It's like, we are so weird in that way. We, we try really hard to be unique and we try really hard to say that, you know, my metabolism is different. It yeah, does yeah. this to just me. But at the yeah. same time, on the other side, we want to be with the masses at the same time. We want to be, you know, the same as the rest. We want other people to experience what we experience. We want to to know that what we're experiencing can be empathized by other people, mm, mm-hmm. but at the same time, unique. So mm-hmm, you see mm-hmm. the dichotomy of, mm-hmm. of how we are as human beings. Um, yeah, it's like the more we can remind ourselves, but especially if we're a coach, the more we can remind our clients, we are not here to help them be like us. We are here to help show them the many ways that they can be the best them possible. And some of that might look like what I do and how I do it and quite maybe even literally how I look, but odds are no. Like we said earlier, you're going to need to just become aware of the things that you can pick and pull and fine tune and make your own because only then are you going to be adherent and only then are you going to actually have an attachment to what you're doing and why. But if all I'm ever doing is trying to be like lat, which, you know, you're killing it, man, wouldn't be a bad thing. You know, that's going to run out eventually you know and then i'm stuck with you know in a month or in a decade well shit like who is chase what do i want why am i doing any of these things and unfortunately that can cause a lot of you know spiraling that are going to take us even further away from our health goals and any progress maybe we have made up to that point yeah and i've seen on social media as well like people have have been posting comparison is the thief of joy and you know as soon as you stop comparing yourself with your coach as with your friends with your peers and you just compare yourself, it, like you just push yourself to be the best version of yourself because no one can be a better chase than you, for example. Mm-hmm. No one can be a better X person than X. Um, knowing that there is the sense of comfort, but there is also that 
that ambition that comes with it as well. Mm. So um, mm. at least in my case, um, I definitely have experienced that myself when I stopped compa- uh, comparing myself because it was very hard coming from a developing country from Malaysia. You know, mm. I want to achieve something on a more international level. I want to get into best universities, you know, in, in the world. I want to learn all about the science in the cutting edge, you know, labs and the technology uh, and it's difficult because i have to compete not only with my fellow malaysians going mm. out you know get scholarships or whatever and then i have to compete with everyone else around the world to get into these universities and then i have to compete with you know all of that like you the society will always compare you to other people when mm. you apply for a job when you you know even when you're working within the company with your co-workers and all that but don't that lo- don't let that instill the fundamental values in yourself to compare mm-hmm. yourself with other people. Because ultimately and, and you need to know that you um, can be the best version of yourself without that comparison. 100%. And then also I think the other side of that is the comparison that a lot of us get into of comparing ourselves to ourselves, maybe where we were last year or five years ago or 10 years ago. Um, it makes me think, you know, back to, nine, 10 years ago when I was at like between nine and 10% body fat. And, you know, I was leaner and, you know, jacked or whatever. And, you know, I think back to like, oh, like, oh, would that be nice? Do I want that? Am I comparing myself to that? I look back at that, Chase, and I go, why why was he like that? He was like that because he was in a phase of his life, not this is right or wrong, where chasing aesthetics, chasing the outward, the physical self, was more of a priority, um, whereas where I'm at now is not. And ultimately, that version of me nine, ten years ago was doing that because that's what I thought I needed to do. I was chasing a girl, chasing a partner. I'm like, you know, I got the girl now. I'm happily married. We're, you know, we're great. You know, maybe you know the four pack now is is totally fine compared to the six pack then. Or you know, it's hell, time for the bad <laughs> bot to kick in. <laughs> maybe I hope not. Not, not yet. I'm. <laughs> I'm keeping the four for sure. Um, but, but also I'll say this and kind of reminds me of one of my favorite stoic quotes. And that's we, we suffer far more in our imagination than in reality. And so when we really get out of our heads and we, we get real, you know, are we making this out to be more of a thing? Are we stuck in comparison with ourselves or with someone else in our own head, our own life? You know, can we objectively kind of pull, pull back and look at that perspective and go, wait a minute, actually like, I may really want this thing, but why? I may really want you know, to be more here, but when I look at my life outside looking in, like I have a lot more than I realize or maybe give myself credit for. Um, we suffer far more in our own imagination than in reality. That's um, you know, very well said. Um, and as we talked about so many things, you know, about your story, about your journey, Chase, um, we talked about trauma, we talked about uh, routines and healthy healthy habits they talk about you know just motivation and addressing different fears give us three things three takeaways for our listeners uh, from our conversation today to you know stay healthy and also mm. look towards the longevity um, perspective as, as we talked about mm. I think first and foremost having your infrastructure, your foundational habit or habits is definitely number one. And if you don't know what that is right now, what those things are, that's totally okay. Here's your opportunity to figure that out. And I would even peel a layer off that and take it a step further and say, you probably have a lot of those things. You just don't realize it. And so like what I would do with anybody, you know, coaching them now is before we go manipulating any variable, we'll try to add any new thing or twist or biohack, take an understanding of what you have right now, what you're doing, what you're not doing, what you're eating, what you're not eating, um, sleep, just establish your baseline. Take a journal, take a food log, take a whatever for you know a week and just see what you got and see when you're doing those things. I would bet a lot of those things are really, really routine and habitual at this point and you might not think are serving you for your particular goals, but I promise you they are. Right there, first and foremost, it's showing you that you can do what you say you're gonna do you can do these things repeatedly, and you have a why attached to them. That those are the fundamental principles for any behavior change that we're after. Um, beyond that, number two, I would say really prioritize sleep. 
Um, if you're struggling to, to build upon your routines and your behavior change, start first with sleep. And I, I promise you, I know this can mean different things for different people, uh, different time zones, maybe you're a shift worker, but as much as possible, if you can prioritize going to bed at the same time and waking up at the same time during the week, during the weekend, holidays, as much as possible, that I promise you is going to be one of the most surprising lead dominoes to every other aspect of your health and your wellness your happiness, your energy, your longevity, for sure. Um, we spend about you know a quarter of our life asleep, and there is about now 25, I think, to, if not 30%, last time I looked at the science, of our daily caloric expenditure is happening during sleep. Now, that is when we are repairing everything we're doing during the day. That is when we are storing memories. That is when we are washing. We have this lymphatic and glymphatic system that is quite literally scrubbing our brains of inflammation and things that don't serve us and need to come out. Well, if we're getting poor sleep, then you know it's going to cause a lot of other problems, but definitely take away from your longevity. And we're seeing sleep being such a crucial component now to things as you know mitigating a reduction in the risk of Alzheimer's, dementia, neurological disease, because we're getting quality sleep. It's not so much about quantity, it's about quality, consistent sleep. Um, and after that, I would really say, mm, let me give it, what's like a, like a hack, like something that I really find value in that's beyond maybe something just really fundamental. Um, pick, find, find something that interests you, let's say a supplement, um, a biohack, whatever, that interests you, try it out, and just really, really give it an honest chance. I, I think when we're looking for, whether it's ketone IQ, or we're looking for infrared sauna, or this pill, this potion, whatever, we have a preconceived notion going in of what it's going to do for us, or maybe what it's going to take away from us, if it's like an ailment or an injury or something. Um, but just do your due diligence, do your research, go into something, of course, safe and soundly, um, and just really when you're taking that supplement, when you're maybe in the IR sauna, whatever that, that thing is, be present with it. Our bodies, um, our bodies are our greatest coaches and our greatest teachers. But I think so often they are whispering things to us throughout the day, but also in like a new practice, um, they're whispering things to us that we're not picking up on. And if we just get still enough and we get quiet enough and we just give it an honest chance, we can learn something. Because ultimately, I think if we're not paying attention to the whispers our bodies are giving us, we're going to have to listen when it starts screaming. And by screaming, I mean inflammation, I mean potential injury, chronic illness, you know, emotional pain even as well. Um, the body is whispering to us all the time for the things that it likes and the things that it doesn't. So if we just honor that and, you know, maybe in a practice of, of a unique supplement or a biohack and really see what, what is happening there uniquely, then we can decide if it's for us or not. But ultimately, learning how to listen to our bodies will always serve us no matter what we're doing. Absolutely agree on all three. Thank you so much for those uh, tips, Chase. And last but not least, obviously, you know, if our listeners would like to find you and, you know, your platform, uh, please let them know where, where can they find you yeah so pretty much on the daily i'm sharing my life my health my wellness things that i'm trying and rotating out uh, on instagram you can connect with me there at chase underscore tuning uh, and then everforward radio you can everfordradio.com or any podcast platform youtube apple wherever um, multiple episodes a week and it's all things health wellness personal development you know i, I say anything that is going to help me and help the listener live a life ever forward is what you're going to hear. You're going to hear fitness, nutrition, mindset, entrepreneurship, um, any way, any which way that you can take an adversity and turn it into your advantage is what it's all about. Um, so please come join us. I would love to have you tune in. And uh, we have a lot of great, a lot of great messages and interviews out there. Um, not only good information, but tactical application as well. So you, when you walk away, you know, all right, this is at least one thing I can apply to my life today to test out, to move me forward, to make my physical, mental, emotional, spiritual well-being even better. Such a great message there. Uh, I mean, the whole platform, it just means in a, such a wholesome way uh, on what health and fitness and longevity means um, to human. And, and I think the more I Thank speak you. to people, the more I realize now people are slowly 
um, being aware and conscious that health and fitness is not necessarily just aesthetics. It's not necessarily mm. just physically fit, but also mentally as well as, mm. you know, getting consistent so that you can maintain that throughout your lifespan, regardless of the different stages of life or the different mm. stresses that you, that's posed to you, whether it's, you know, from college to job hunting to families to, you know, uh, dealing with um, age-related illnesses. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So... You said it. You said it. Absolutely. If you have enjoyed this episode, please like, share, and subscribe. And we welcome any comments or feedback in either the comment section, or you can fill up the Google form provided in description. You can find us at HVMN or at Latmanso for myself on all social media platforms. Both HVMN Podcast and myself are powered by Ketone IQ, the most efficient way to elevate your blood ketone levels for optimal cognitive and physical performance, as well as metabolic health. Thanks again for listening. Until next time.